when I was a little girl, and uh, my mom, I was five years old, and my mom would sew our clothes, and I had this dress that I absolutely adored. It didn't have sleeves as a fitted bodice, but the cool thing about the dress, it was gold with calico print of these red and blue flowers. It had a gathered skirt, and you girls know what I'm thinking about. It had maximum twirl, and I loved it. So I would, when I was wearing that dress, I would go outside on the driveway and wait for a breeze, and when the breeze would come, I'd start twirling and twirl and twirl and twirl because here was my hope. My hope was that that breeze would fill the skirt and lift me off the ground and I'd go fly. <laughs> Sounds like fun, doesn't it? It never happened. But I tried many times. Maybe, have you planned and worked at something and, uh, and you've worked really hard and it, you didn't get it? Have you experienced that? What were you left with? Maybe a whole bucket load of thoughts and feelings, disappointment. Um, you wanted to be taken up into something, and instead, maybe that thing took hold of you and just began to constrain you because that's what began that disappointment began to control. Well, Paul is dealing with the Corinthian church, and these are some of the things that he is writing to them. The Corinthian church, uh, we know that Paul was there in 55, no, 52 AD, and I'm assuming that's when the church was started. And 55 AD is when his first letter went back to them. So three years old, a young church. This first letter was actually a corrective letter, which is kind of sad for your first letter to be, let me give you some correction here. But the wallpaper of the, of the culture, of the room that they were living in, was about differences on how they view wisdom. The Greek view was that wisdom was about power. You sit under a philosopher, someone who has great oratory skills, and you learn, and you become this powerful voice in the culture. And that's what the Greek believers were really buying into. And the, the Jewish view was it's about purpose, discerning what what is God's will for me? What to do? What is my purpose? Well, um, these two things, the problem was that the wisdom had sort of grabbed hold of them. They weren't taken up into some sort of greater understanding. And it was causing all kinds of contention in different areas within the church. So maybe you can relate. It reminds me of, for those of you who have been here for a while, the pendulum and how you can be over here, but you can also see some of aspects of yourself with the other side. 
And so the messy middle is where we try to live. Well, in the Corinthian church, they were on either side, trying to work the wisdom that they understood. So let me ask you, have you ever found yourself uh, talking with someone who you go, oh my goodness, they're really grounded. They're very connected. They seem to know something more about life than I do. And what are some of the things that stir in you? Maybe it's, I wish that was me. I really want that. When I was a young believer, that was one of the things I would do, is if I spotted something in someone and I was like, oh man, I start saying, God, I want that. I want to be like that. And some of those requests God answered. Some of them were kind of folly. So the desire for something more uh, and the constraints that get created by ourselves and our own desires um, to be successful, to be... Uh, uh, productive, um, creates a tension, doesn't it? And that tension is kind of hard. I had this realization, this is one of those times where I said, God, I noticed this. This is something I do. What does this mean? And um, he told me, this is what I do in that tension. I check out. I don't want to deal with that tension. And you know how I check out? You may have your own ways if you do check out. You may not. You may face it head on. But I watch cop shows. <laughs> and I watch medical. And they're all drama. Can't be the real thing. And here's why. For an hour, the tension, well, not the whole hour, but the tension builds, and then there's this resolution. And everything's tied up nicely. And I feel that fake resolution. And it gives me a break from my own tension. But it doesn't help me to face it and go, what do I do with this? Now I can see by some of the faces and the reactions, we all have our things, right? And what happens is there comes a point where that tension shows back up. And, oh my goodness, I need another hit. I need to go watch Chicago Med <laughs> or something like that. Well, I want to tell you my story. And because it weaves into some of the things that we're talking about with the Corinthian church uh, in terms of desire. So, I was called to the ministry when I was 17. When I was 15, I became a Christian, and by 17, I knew, God, you're calling me to the ministry. This is in 1979. Yes, I'm almost as old as dirt. So, uh, one of the things is, the only church I knew was Southern Baptist. I'd grown up in a little country Southern Baptist church. Well, grown up until we moved at the age of nine or ten, and started going to another church in the in in the city in Austin, Texas, 
where I did the rest of my growing up. Um, and I knew that there were other denominations, but I didn't know that there were different ways of doing church. And so I'm in the church, and I'm realizing I have this call to ministry, and I've noticed that there are no women in the ministry other than lay leaders over the children, the woman who plays the piano, the woman who plays the organ, and the pastor's wife. And uh, I debated whether or not to ever say that I was feeling this, and, and I wasn't totally sure what it was I was called to, uh, but I was called to the ministry. I finally, in the Baptist church, you come forward if you're professing faith, you come forward if you're changing your membership to the church, or you come forward if you feel called to the ministry. And so it took me a couple of weeks, but I came forward, and the pastor presented me along with all the other people who had come up. And then what they do is at the end of the service, people come by and they shake your hands, a little sort of greeting reception thing. And the people just shake your hand and say congratulations and go on to the next person. And as that's happening, I'm beginning to realize I'm called to be a pastor. And I knew I couldn't ever say that there. I knew it. And so, uh, and in my head, they're saying, congratulations, thank you. But in my head, I'm going, if you knew what you're congratulating me for, I wonder what you would do. So, um, early on, I had the realization that I wasn't, like, I didn't match everyone else who was in ministry, but I rarely sort of match everyone else anyway. So I began, um, we moved, and I wound up going to another church where women were more involved, but I got involved with a group within the church that was looking to plant a church. And so I was part of a team, planted a church, and then I did mission stuff with Youth with a Mission, and, and then locally I led some groups down to the garbage dump in Nuevo Laredo and uh, went to Honduras and things like that. And when I came back, I couldn't find a job. And a friend said to me, you know, I'd go back and get my degree if I were you. And for the first time in my life, I didn't go, oh no, that's my sister thing, my sister's thing. She wants to be a professor. I said, you know what, that's a great idea. And so I went back to college, and I, I just kept going to college, quite honestly. Just kept going, kept going, kept going. <laughs> and um, I was finishing up my master's in deaf education, and I realized that my thesis answered none of the questions I was really asking. And I could take you to the place at the University of Texas at Austin where I stood in front of this bulletin board in a hallway and said, God, do you want me to do a PhD? And the closest thing to yes or to, to out loud that I've ever heard was yes. It's part of our relationship. 
And it's only been this part of my life that I'm understanding that second part. So I did my PhD in educational psychology development, uh, human development. During that time, I became a part of a church that encouraged a lot of people to be active, that, that uh, we minister to one another. It's not all on the person at the front. And so uh, I had been a part of multiple churches over time, and usually I wound up becoming that person that would start the prayer ministry, prayer teams, that kind of stuff. And But inevitably, it would end in a, in a sour note for me, and I couldn't figure out why. I just couldn't figure it out. There were patterns, there was desire, I wanted to do this, and it would never quite work out. And then there would be more constraint, because this is what I really want, but that was taking hold of me instead of being taken up into it. And I couldn't figure out why. Today, I can tell you, it's my own insecurities. It was some of the trauma in my life that I hadn't dealt with. It was a lot of things that I'd never been taught how to deal with. So, um, I wound up at Christ City. I'd had a brush with breast cancer. Best case scenario, let me tell you. A lumpectomy. No need for uh, clean lines, no need for chemotherapy, radiation, I'm done. Good, yay. And so uh, I started coming to Christ City off and on. I was living in Arlington and off and on. And I um, had started a series of operations to ensure that I would not get breast cancer again. And I was in the middle of all of that, and these people at Christ City would drive all the way out to Arlington to bring me food, and I wasn't even coming every Sunday. And it just amazed me. And that made me want to come more, because people were caring about me. It wasn't a demand that I perform. So then um, I began doing the thing, started prayer groups, started prayer ministry. We have the prayer on both sides. That's kind of a leftover of something I'd started and it's morphed into other, which is fine. I'm glad that it did. Um, but there was a year, I always get fuzzy about the year, but it was a February and our church experienced something really painful and I remember, because I was on the Women's Council, this is before we were egalitarian, and I got a phone call. And that phone call told me a lot about what was going on. It was one of the elders, and I could hear uh, adrenaline. I could hear uh, anxiety and fear. I could hear that this person had been through a lot dealing with what was going on. Um, so I, I'm an Enneagram 9, if you like Enneagram. If you don't, that's okay. But I'm a 9. I'm good for the zen and for the peace, let me tell you. And it takes a while for emotions to come up. If you ask me in the moment, I'll have to say, I have to get back to you. <laughs> so I purposed 
to love on people, to check on people, to check on leaders, and that's what I did from February through to about August is when I began to hit a wall, and I didn't tell anyone. And in September, it became very clear. <laughs> and Robin had, uh, had this little talk with me, as Robin does as um, a pastor, and a very good pastor. He said, Diane, do you think you need to step away? Is God maybe calling you to another place? I don't want you to leave, but what, what's going on with you? I said, I think I need to step away. And I don't know if I'm going to be back. I, I just don't know. All I knew was most of the time when people would say things to me, it's like it hit my forehead and it fell down. <laughs> it never could make it to my ears. It could not go in. And this is what I've come to understand is what our church went through and the things that uh, the old head pastor did was a trigger for me. And uh, back in the day when I had been called to the ministry, it wasn't too long after that that if the Church Two movement had been, I would have been a part of it. And I had ignored all of that. And there it was. Um, when I stepped away, I, I developed this rhythm. I'd get up in the morning, I'd get my cup of coffee, and I'd go back to bed. My bed was my safe space. And I read this book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And I just kept reading. And what hit me was grief was a big deal. And I began to cry. So it sort of became my coffee was my morning cry. <laughs> and, and it was good for the soul, actually. I grieved all kinds of things. If you had said to me, I have a hangnail, I would have gone, because oh, it just was right there. I grieved the death of my father in 1987, and I thought I grieved it when it happened. But man, I felt it. And I grieved what had been done to me. For the first time, I just sort of pushed it aside. So, um, there was one week in February, I, I think I'm hating February these days, but in February, I had to go to the doctor and she gave me some news and just brace yourselves, I might cry a little here. <laughs> um, yeah, that's not very nine, I just realized. <laughs> anyway, um, and I didn't tell anyone for a couple of weeks and I'd started coming back to Christ City. And I'd come in time for the sermon, I'd take communion, and then I'd jet. And uh, about two weeks out, I came to, the, came to the service, and yes, it was in time for the sermon. And I went to get communion, and I remember, I think I'm gonna go ahead and, uh, I was just gonna talk generally about the people involved. I looked, I took communion, and I looked, and there was Robin, and I pointed at him. And he was like, okay. And uh, I said, I really need prayer, and, and Suzanne needs to be a part of this. We got Suzanne and went over in the landing at the old building, and uh, I had not said this or told anyone this until that moment. Uh, 
I said, and I don't think I finished it, I might have cancer again. And I started falling forward as I said it, and Suzanne caught me and just held on to me. I'm gonna tell you, she may be small and dainty, she is strong. And if you want anyone fighting for you in prayer, Suzanne can do it. And then Robin was there with, you know, just kind of keeping us standing too, and, uh, and I sobbed and they prayed. And I sobbed and they prayed. And because I thought I'd done everything to keep from cancer happening again. Um, I remember saying to Robin, because it went on for quite a long time, I know, I know, you need to go be a pastor. And he said, I am being a pastor. And I sobbed again. <laughs> so that moment was instrumental for me. People loved me. About two weeks later, this very dear friend of mine, um, she took me to the surgery center where I had to have my biopsy. And it cost her to do that. She knew that place and she had all kinds of experiences related to that place that were not pleasant. And I didn't realize and we're sitting there talking, and I'm realizing the price she was paying to serve me. And I really realized that I have people who love me, and I'm grateful for that. So, you know, it's been a long road to coming back to who I am. By the way, I didn't have cancer. Yes. So, but here's where I've come to is who I am and what God has put in me to do. I'm here for that. Not just what I want to see happen, but I'm here for what God has put in me to do. Now, that's what Paul is um, leading the Corinthians to. There's something deeper, Corinthians, than power or purpose. You were made for deeper things. There's uh, something to be grounded and connected into. And these two verses give us kind of a hint, because he's saying, you know, Greek wisdom, Jew Jewish wisdom, but then there's God's wisdom. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory. Now that hit me. When I think of glory, I think of God's glory. But we're made in his image. That's pretty significant. Our glory. Before time began. And then verse 10. These are things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things even the deep things of God. Another translation says, even the depths of God. So what has been revealed? What does that mean? So um, I didn't put this in the regular text because I wanted to use the message version. And it's verse 14 and 16. The unspiritual self, just as it is by nature, can't receive 
the gifts of God's spirit. There's no capacity for them. They seem so much silliness. The spirit can be known only by spirit. God's spirit and our spirits in open communion. Think about that. God's spirit and our spirit in open communion. That sounds like connection to me. That sounds like tapping into something more than ourselves. Spiritually alive, we have access to everything God's spirit is doing and can't be judged by unspiritual critics. Isaiah's question, is there anyone around who knows God's spirit, anyone who knows what he's doing? It has been answered. Christ knows, and we have Christ's spirit. We're probably more connected than we ever realized. And God is gracious and merciful and helps us. The funny thing is, when I think about that little girl who liked to twirl and wanted to fly and never got to, she never got constrained. She never, and it's really quite simple, but it's not simple. She accepted each time. Oh, it didn't happen today. She surrendered to that moment. Surrender is incredibly important. So, and each time you love someone and love on someone and care for them, you help those constraints become like a shell. It's like the false self. And when you do that, you create cracks in it and the possibility of that shell falling off. That's a really good thing. I wouldn't have been up here without the people who've loved on me. I'm very grateful, very grateful. I had a mentor once who said this, you know, Diane, you need to make a big landing space for God. And it's not because he can't aim. It's because you want everything that he brings. And so some of the ways we do that is we spend time. We, uh, spiritual practices are very good for this. Solitude, silence, um, there's always that third one that I uh, stillness. I always forget stillness. <laughs> so, this is what I, I want to say to you surrender every day. It's hard. I struggle with it. But surrender, let go, accept, embrace the Holy Spirit in you, embrace the Holy Spirit. And this is going to sound self-serving, <laughs> but spiritual direction, as a spiritual director, spiritual direction is all about making space for you 
to experience and know God and Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's pray. So God, I thank you that you have been with us and I thank you that I was able to get through this. <laughs> and I ask that you would visit, have already visited and revisit those addresses throughout the day. And I ask that you prepare us as we look to meet the living Christ in communion. Um, we love you, God, and thank you for your mercy and your goodness to us. Amen.